So I read the readings this week and decided that the reading from Exodus and the Gospel uh, have some relation to each other and should be preached on. And the other reason is, is that from the reading from Exodus, we have one of the murmuring passages. And you know how I feel about the murmuring passages. I love them. I think they're wonderful. Perish life, 1750 BCE. (laughs) The two themes that are central to these readings are what do you do when you sort of get what you want and then you're still not satisfied and you're unhappy and you're moving in a certain direction but um, you're now beginning to remember the former times. That's what you get in the reading from Exodus, the people uh, of Israel in the wilderness. And in the gospel, you get uh, people believing that the good fortune of others somehow harms them or somebody who expresses their generosity in a way that appears to be unconditional is extremely upsetting. And what do you do about that? How do those two things affect your emotional, spiritual, and mental states? And how do they prevent you from being the transparency and reflection of God's grace and love that you're called to be? In the reading from Exodus, the people are now in the wilderness. You know, one of the things about reading these passages that's important, I... Uh, A a great Episcopalian in this diocese, Jerry Witherspoon, he's a member of St. Jude's Church in Cupertino. He's a retired career military officer. And about six or seven years ago, he got interested in trying to figure out how long it would have taken the people of Israel, based on the biblical accounts, how long would it have taken them to go from... Egypt to the promised land, making allowances for the numbers and whatever it is it says in the biblical text and all the stuff they had to carry, the men, women, the children, all the animals and all of this. How long would it take to get to the promised land? And based on his military training and being able to form up people and get them going, he predicted that it would probably take about four weeks. So how long were the people of Israel in the wilderness? Forty years. So don't you think that may be a metaphor for how you and I get wandering around in our emotional, spiritual, and mental states, both internally, personally, and in relationship and in our community life together? It's about how we come to ourselves and begin to understand something about the faithfulness of God. So here's what's happening today. The people of Israel have been freed from slavery. They are now moving towards the promised land. And they are anxious and worried and nervous. And they begin to complain about the leadership. And they are afraid that they're going to starve to death and have no water. And so they complain about Moses and Aaron. They are looking at their past and at Egypt through rose-colored glasses. 
the flesh pots. I always love that. The flesh pots of Egypt. All of these murmuring texts, in one sense, can be understood as instructive of the nature of good leadership. So they have direct application today for each one of us who needs from time to time to exercise good leadership in our families, in the workplace, in our friendships, to do the kind of interior self-regulation that we need to meet the challenges and the opportunities that are in front of us on a daily basis. So Moses' job, remember we have now a twofer. We have Aaron and we have Moses. Remember Moses receives his call to come and to lead the people out of Egypt. And he says to God, I don't think I'm up to this. I can't do it. For one thing, I have a speech impediment. And God said, don't worry about it. I'll send Aaron with you and he'll do your talking for you. And you can do this. So Moses defocuses the people from the place of remembered good times and points them to the future. Look at the cloud. As you move this way, you are going to receive a new self-definition, a deeper and fuller understanding of God's purposes for you, and living into the promises of God with regard to this special relationship that God has created for his people. Remember, this special relationship vests no one with special privileges, but rather special responsibilities. And they move now in this direction. This is not complaining on one level about Moses and Aaron, and it's in the text clear about that. They realize that. In fact, it all sounds very Jewish to me when Aaron and Moses go, who are we? <laughs> right? What are you complaining to me? Who are we? It's God you're complaining against. But does God turn away? Is God fickle? No. God is faithful. God is present. It is the continuous promise in the Hebrew Bible and taken up by Jesus and those writers in the Christian scriptures that God is faithful always. And so he provides for the people meat, quail, and something that looks like frost, it's the manna. Here, let me say a footnote about biblical scholarship and so forth. There are lots of people who want to pin all this stuff down. They either want to be absolutely assured of its historicity or they want to have some explanation for this. So you'll read in some uh, you know, books on, on the Pentateuch, on the Torah, uh, you know in the ancient Near East, Birds would fly over the Sinai, they'd become exhausted, and they'd drop dead in the, uh, in the desert, and that's probably what the people of Israel found, right? The white stuff is the manna, 
and manna exists even today. It is the excretion of a bug that lives in the Near East that is a great delicacy. But it needs to be harvested in the morning because if the sun comes out, it'll melt. So you need to get it quick, you know. Alan Dershowitz is being interviewed four or five years ago. And somebody uh, was talking to him about how he was raised uh, as a Jew. And he said, you know, the rabbi taught us something that's extremely important. And that is that we don't eat pork, not because we've discovered that if you ate pork, you'd get trigonosis, which you might, but because God told you not to do it. That's what the rabbi taught us. So it maybe has more to do with faith in God than pork, which can be tasty, you know. But everybody needs to try to pin things down. Not least of which the people of Israel who were afraid that God would not supply. And God does supply. And this is what this is about. It is about God's abundant presence to his people. It is about how God assists us in moving in a direction where we can live a life more consonant with his purposes for each of us. And we believe as Christian people that God wants each of us to be part of his plan for the cosmos in big and small ways. In the parable of the landowner, the vineyard owner, we have a story where he goes to the square and he hires some people to work in his vineyard early in the morning and he said, I'm going to pay you the given, the going wage to do this. And a couple hours later, he discovers that he needs more workers and he goes and he hires some more and he said, I'll pay you what's fair. And then he gets some more and then he gets some more and then he gets some more at five o'clock in the afternoon, almost at the end of the workday. So when it comes time to settle up, he pays them all the same. And those who had worked all day long are deeply resentful. And they complain, or at least one of them does. He said, we've worked all day long, and these people who came at five got the same amount that we did. It's not so in this translation, but I think the RSV used to say, the owner said, do you begrudge my generosity? I think we spend a lot of energy on begrudging other people's generosity or we believe that people are somehow getting ahead of us and we don't like it. It's a cliche, but when I was a kid, my family used to say virtue is its own reward. Doing the right thing is its own reward. You got up, you made this agreement to work for this amount of money, and you went and did the work and delivered the goods, and you got paid for it. Never mind what somebody else gets paid. If virtue has its own reward in and of itself, doing the right thing, being the best human being you can be, it might be a moment to say a word about salvation 
You and I are not saved by our virtues. When we die and go to God, it doesn't matter whether we were a good person. It doesn't matter. We go to God because God unconditionally loves, accepts, and forgives us. And that that's the default position of the Christian faith and life. And what what gives us that sense of liberation and relief to have that knowledge. So this week, uh, if you're struggling about the place of remembered good times or the place that may not be remembered good times but has given you a certain self-definition, you know, the, the negative side of things, there's still a lot of people who believe in past as prologue, but you hear me say over and over again that the same cause has paradoxical effects. So you and I are not chained to our past. We have the opportunity to live in a new freedom and a new peace. So if you're struggling with that, turn and look at the cloud, the presence of God, God's unconditional acceptance, love, and forgiveness. And if you're having a struggle uh, with other people's generosity, give thanks for the fact that we live in a world, whether we believe it or not, where there is always enough. Amen.